Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. What did the Apostle Paul say in Colossians 4.18? Remember my chains. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Colossian church while imprisoned, and I thought of Paul's words recently. After a Canadian pastor in the province of Alberta was imprisoned, James Coates has been sent to prison because his church, Grace Life Edmonton, has been open for about seven months at full capacity without masks. As a result, Coates has run afoul of the Albertan government. At the time of this podcast recording, he is in prison. To my knowledge, James Coates is the first pastor to go to jail for taking a stand against lockdown measures. Christians disagree about how to respond to the pandemic and government mandates regarding masking, distancing, and meetings. Let that be said, I am not on this podcast going to try to resolve all of those issues. Suffice it to say that godly people disagree over this issue, and I believe it is ideal, as best we can, to preserve what unity we can in this time on these matters. And yet I also believe, as we have already seen with John MacArthur in California, that pastors are well within their constitutional rights and certainly within the rights of biblical Christianity to gather the church when there is not extreme danger to the public and meet in regular form. That is what MacArthur did this summer and the Elders of Grace Community Church leading alongside him, and that is now what James Coates, a graduate of Master Seminary, has done in Alberta, Canada. And for this stance, Coates has paid a price. The church, as I said, was commanded to meet at only 15% capacity, but it has been meeting at 100% capacity with the doors wide open to anyone who wants to come in this lockdown season. Coates and his fellow elders have argued that the church provides vital spiritual services in this time and that there is in fact a grave danger to many people who do not have the opportunity to gather for public worship. Coates believes that that is absolutely vital, certainly for Christians, but then also for many people who are in difficult straits in this pandemic time. And so for that reason, not out of a kind of childish defiance of statutes, but for that reason, for the good of his people especially, and for visitors as well, Coates has decided that it is best that the church remain open. This is, as I say, very similar to the stance taken by John MacArthur and the elders of Grace Community Church. I supported the MacArthur stand some months ago, and on this podcast now, I support James Coates and his stand for religious liberty. Again, there are difficult issues to sort out along the lines of pandemic measures and how the church responds to them, but I believe that this is a vital moment for the church to recognize that its, its liberties are under threat, and the mandate of God to preach, to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2, to gather the body for corporate worship, to be fed by the Word of God, to minister grace to one another in the context of weekly fellowship. All these things are endangered in terms of this kind of case. Even even if you do not have the precise position that James Coates and the church has, you should definitely take note of what is happening in Alberta, Canada right now. And I believe that none of us should think that our church, our fellowship, our congregation, our religious organizations more broadly is immune to the government finding reasons to shut us down or imprison us 
as well. I do not want to indicate uh, that there is no statute that is in question here that is being debated. The government has issued guidelines and decrees, and the church has decided out of its understanding of obedience to Christ that it must defy those decrees and principles in, in very specific and certain forms. I want to recognize more broadly, though, that religious liberty, when you study it in civilizations and societies, does not usually diminish in one fell swoop, but is instead whittled away by a thousand cuts. And I believe that is very likely unfolding in this case in Canada and more broadly in the West right now. So it is time, whatever your precise response initially to this story, to sit up straight in your chair and to recognize that we are in a brave new world with regard to religious liberty in the West, and that even if civic authorities, officials, do not come for us because of our church's response to lockdown decrees, there may well be other reasons why authorities end up knocking on our door in this time. You see, when the church, when religious people's rights are not taken with the utmost seriousness— religious liberty, of course, being the first freedom of America, to speak of my own country, then all the other liberties are imperiled. It is not that religious liberty is the last of a long line of 29 different freedoms, in other words. It is that religious liberty is the freedom that guarantees all the other freedoms. So even when there is room for, for discussion over a given case like this one with Grace Life Edmonton, we still again, need to sit up straight in our seats and take this very seriously and recognize what has happened to James Coates as a real threat to the Christian church in our time. In reading up on this story in preparation for an article I wrote for Reformanda, a website I'm affiliated with, and for this podcast, I could not help but think of the Puritan movement in 1660s England. The Puritans similarly ran afoul of English authorities in the 1660s, in fact, the English king oversaw the passing and promotion of four separate acts that together hampered and were designed to hamper Puritan preaching and Puritan gatherings. Those who dissented from the established church in the 1660s were taken as enemies of the state, essentially, and the government at that time in England did everything it could to shut down the preaching of the word. We should take note of the Puritan experience in the 1660s in our own day. It's fascinating as well because in 1665, a version of the plague spread throughout London and England more broadly. And in that moment, Puritan preachers like John Owen and Thomas Goodwin, who previously had been sidelined by these official acts of the English king, decided that they could not fail to preach any longer. And so they returned to their pulpits in different forms, their meeting houses, their gatherings, and they began to preach to those who were, who were terrified of what was happening, to those who were actually dying of the plague, to those who were grieving because loved ones had died from the plague. I think we should be instructed by this unique moment in 1660s England. We should know that being a Puritan, for example, meant that you were in the crosshairs of the English government in that period, under that wicked regime. If we find ourselves, we see, 
in dire straits for preaching the word, for gathering the flock in our own time, we should know that actually this is not something unique. This is where the church has frequently been throughout church history. It has never been a light and glancing thing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a wicked and fallen world. It has often been a very consequential thing, not just in terms of our serious proclamation of a serious gospel, but in terms of the response that comes our way from fallen leaders and fallen individuals and fallen governments as a result. To put it more specifically, you preach Christ and you might well end up in trouble. We all, of course, want to guard against running afoul of civic authorities for bad reasons, for silly reasons. We, we don't want to enfranchise a kind of immature response to the state. The biblical authors foreclose that possibility through several passages in Scripture. Probably the, the one that comes most quickly to mind for many of us is Romans 13, 1 through 7, where we learn that Caesar has a real authority in the world that God has made that the state is a constituted institution and has real God-given authority. Now, does the state, in the form of Caesar, often wield that authority as it should? No, it does not. And the Bible has much to teach us along those lines. In fact, in Acts 5.29, as we have discussed on this podcast in months past, we know that the apostles declare that they must obey God rather than men when they are commanded to stop preaching the word. They will not do so. They cannot do so. They are under compulsion to preach. And by extension, churches, at least in all but the most extreme, and I do mean extreme, circumstances, must gather, must meet, and pastors must, in those meetings, feed the sheep as best they can. Doing so, though, again, is not necessarily going to be taken kindly in at least a good number of societies and civilizations. Again, going back to Acts 5 we recognize that the apostles are thereafter attacked and demeaned for preaching the gospel. But at the end of Acts 5, in Acts 5.41, they rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We recall along these lines, of course, that the very name of Jesus is synonymous with suffering. The very identity of Christ is synonymous with death. And so, the whole tenor of the Christian faith cannot help but be associated with the narrow way, the narrow way that leads all the way to a Roman cross and the death of one who is considered the most ignominious man the Romans could crucify. Crucified, in other words, as a slave, not as a citizen, not as a, a common man. No, 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 no. As a slave, the lowest form of humanity there was. This is the Christian faith, friends. Christianity in the West, whether in Canada or in America, has enjoyed, in point of fact, uh, a real ascendancy in American culture, in Canadian culture, in the last century or so, with some obvious ups and downs. And yet many Christians have been able, praise God, to lead quiet and dignified lives in fulfillment of 1 Timothy 2. And Christianity has even become popular in different places in the West. 
in the last hundred years or so, even stretching back further than that. And, and we don't necessarily demean this. We, we give thanks to God for times of peace, for the preaching of the gospel, for the ability to harvest funds and send out missionaries and start seminaries and, and all sorts of worthwhile causes like these. That is a blessing of God. That is a gift of God. That is not necessarily the normative experience of the church in all ages in Christian history, but where the church experiences relative prosperity and blessing, we are right to give thanks to God, not to look askance at that. But we need to take stock of where we are in 2021. It very much looks like the wind has shifted against us in this time, and it is time for us to get ready. It is actually past time for us to get ready. We are at sea, and the wind is already whipping around us, and the waves are not one feet high. The waves are 15 feet high, and it is well nigh time that the church takes stock of where it is. I would encourage you not simply to, to sit there and try to will yourself into a state of preparation, though. I have five thoughts for you along these lines toward this end. First, I would encourage you that in these evil days, you do what you can to rally two men like James Coates, who are trying as best they know how to take a stand for the Word of God and the gathering of Christ's body. We should pray for Grace Life Edmonton, the congregation that James Coates leads. We should pray for James Coates himself. He is under tremendous pressure right now at this time. We should pray for his godly wife. Her name is Erin, and she is giving a strong testimony of hope in God right now. We should pray for their precious children. I believe that James and Aaron have, have two children from what I can recall, and we need to pray for them. Remember that these children have not asked for this trial and are themselves trying, I'm sure, to bear up under it, and yet it must be beyond difficult to see their father penalized for preaching Christ when, again, the church has not been a hotbed of COVID. There has not been a COVID case in the last 28 weeks when, when the church is trying its level best to offer the real comfort and hope that is found in the Word and the Gospel. And yet, civic authorities have brought the hammer down upon James Coates and his church. Secondly, we should cry out to God for the preservation of religious liberty and the strengthening of pastors in this time. I mean it. Pause this humble, humble little podcast. Forget listening to yours very truly for another second. Pray to God right now that he would preserve religious liberty in the West, in Canada, in America, wherever you are, wherever you know to pray for, whatever degree of religious liberty there is. Pray for more if there is none. Pray for the strengthening of what there is. And then pray as well that God would put iron in the spine of his pastors, of the shepherds, of his flock, that they would stand upon the word and that they would take whatever heat comes as a result of ministering Christ week by week to the gathered congregation, of course, welcoming in visitors, many strong Bible-preaching meeting congregations in this day and age, interestingly, are seeing many visitors come. 
And that is a beautiful effect of what is taking place right now. God is bringing beauty out of ashes, and we give thanks for that. And we should recognize that that will only likely continue. If you are a pastor, you should be thinking about this. Not because your church is necessarily some excitement fest, but because many people are seeing that the promises of the world do not ring up per what people believe they will. Many people are seeing that the promises of the world are ultimately bankrupt and that they should not put their hope in anything in this world. They're coming to this realization in in different ways from different angles, and some of them at least, in God's leading and providence, are showing up at churches that are open, including Bible-preaching churches. Those are, after all, the only true churches there are, those that stand upon the Scripture and those that preach the true Savior. And so know that. Know that, yes, being open, yes, welcoming people in, will in some cases put you in difficult straits, but that is worth it. It is worth it to strengthen the flock by the grace of God, and it is worth it to preach Christ and implore unbelievers to come in and be found in Him. So pray for the strengthening of pastors as well. Pray for your pastor right now. And if you don't have a strong church, if you're not a member of a Bible-preaching congregation, find one. And don't just go to it. Join it. If you know somebody who has been attending a, a biblical congregation for some time in a loving but also firm way, challenge them to join the church. Challenge them to become a member, to have accountability, to have fellowship in the fullest biblical sense. Third, pray for revival in this time. Even as Caesar cracks down on the ministry of God's Word, as seen in this this instance of James Coates being wrongly imprisoned, pray that God will use what is taking place for the spread of the gospel. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment when revival is going to visit our congregations, when it's going to strike in America or in Canada or in some other country. Wherever it would come, if it's true gospel revival, we welcome it. We welcome it whether it's featured as a result of our ministry or someone else's ministry. We are not jealous here. Indeed, we must not be. But pray that God would use even times like this to show people that they cannot put their faith in the state. They cannot put their faith in any human being. They cannot put their faith in any unbiblical ideology. They must only trust Jesus Christ, for only Jesus Christ is the God-man, truly God, truly human, who laid down his life and washed sinners clean and rose again from the dead in order that in this age that is truly gripped like nothing else by the fear of death, we would be free from death. Death, in fact, would be used, but it would be used as the pathway, the gateway to very eternal glory itself. That is a way to manage your fear. That is a way to (laughs) address your concerns with regard to death. Not to take a pill, not to do some breathing exercises, not to start a meditation course on an app, something like this. Not to get a life coach, not to read a self-help book but to trust the objective truths of God's gospel secured by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and thus, as God 
grants you that faith through regeneration to know that death is overcome, to know that your fear now of death has no basis in reality. Yes, we will die. No, we should not see death itself, the act of dying, as a happy thing. It is in no form a happy thing. And yet, death is overcome, and the Christian will live eternally, again, on the basis of Christ's finished cross work, resurrection from the grave. So let's pray that people will, will release their hold on so many worldly ideologies and hopes and will instead, by God's leading and moving, cling to Christ. Fourth, let's keep preaching and never stop. Preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach it in season. Preach it, man, when people are responding like crazy and there's all sorts of visible effects. Praise God for that. And preach it out of season when those visible effects may seem stalled, when you may get criticism for preaching it, when people may not have that sense of fire about them for the things of God. Whatever the case, whatever people's reaction is within range of your preaching, if you do indeed preach, keep preaching. That is our plan. That is our program. That is how the kingdom of heaven advances in the world, first and foremost through pulpit proclamation, and then as the church scatters and, and not only tells certain uh, resonances of their faith with the things of God, uh, gives a little quick burst of testimony to people they're around at work or school or wherever it may be, but as the church itself, the scattered church, proclaims Christ. Proclaim Christ. Him we proclaim. Every chance you get, proclaim him. Don't do so thinking that you're going to become popular for doing so. Here again, remember the very tenor and nature of the Christian faith. It has the scent of suffering all over it. Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down a ransom for many. This is by all accounts, scripturally, a suffering faith. But keep preaching it, no matter what comes. I am guessing that James Coates, I am quite certain that he will keep preaching. In fact, I'm guessing that he's preaching even now, knowing a bit of his godly leadership in Alberta. And I praise God for that. And I know that God will use him and many like him, humble servants of Christ, in powerful ways as they and we, you, listening to this podcast, whether you have a formal ministry or not, take whatever opportunities you have, not just to share a word about your spiritual experience, but again, to proclaim Christ. And then fifth and finally, for this little episode, fight and pray for faith. Fight and pray for faith. We're reminded when we study the examples of the Puritans that theirs was not an easy existence. So it has been for many Christians in many seasons, as I have already said. You have to fight for your faith in this world. You can't assume that this world is going to give you faith. It's not. You can't assume that this world is going to help your faith. It's not. 
You can't assume that your present circumstances are going to encourage a mature and stronger faith day by day. They're not. Instead, God puts all the horsepower for a growing faith in his people. The Holy Spirit indwells us and grows us and gives us a never-ending hunger and thirst for the things of God. Can we quench that hunger and thirst? Yes, we can. And yet all the horsepower is already there. And that means that when we need to fight for our faith, as we do every single day we live, there are all the resources in Christ Jesus we could ever need. The Spirit is there. The Spirit will help us. So stop being a passive Christian. Stop just taking the conditions the world gives you. Stop, stop playing the hand you know to play in a fallen and natural sense and start playing a hand that is empowered by the things of God. And where you find yourself weak and where you fail in this respect, as you will, I will, we all will, pray for fresh faith. Ask God to forgive your weakness and ask him to strengthen you afresh. And remember this as we close in this little podcast. Pray that God would use for good what Satan intends for evil. God seems to take a special delight in executing just that maneuver. He seems to have a special sense of joy in taking the worst things Satan can do, the most evil deeds, the most wicked proceedings, and then turning them to the greatest possible good. The example of examples here is, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ. But you don't only have to think about this principle in light of the cross. Think about in the Old Testament context the story of Joseph. Think about the story of Ruth. Think about the story of Esther. Think about the story of Daniel. Think about the story of the Exodus. (laughs) The more you think about this principle, you're very close to concluding that it is one of the central themes of the entire storyline of Scripture. And you are correct in thinking that. It very much is. Not just that God is sovereign, He is sovereign, gloriously sovereign, but more specifically, that He takes a special delight in using evil and not just redeeming it for a little bit of good, but redeeming it for maximal good. Redeeming it in such a way not only that His people are sprung and strengthened and blessed or brought to heaven but so that the devil is cast down, defeated, and ridiculed in public. That is the kind of maneuver that God loves to execute. So let's pray. Without knowledge on our own, without any sense of where things are going, without any divine wisdom of of ourselves, but let us pray with full biblical confidence in God. Going back to those stories, by the way, in our daily devotions, that God will take what Satan means for evil and use it for good. And let us pray that with regard to our brother, James Coates. And let us recognize that he is the first, but there there may well be others who follow in that pathway. If that is the case, take this to the bank. God is with 
every one of them. And he will in no wise, as the old King James says, abandon them. He will in no way let them go. Instead, whatever, whatever occurs here, he will get them and he will get you all the way home to glory. Remember my chains. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.